Bonjour la classe. Hello, it's me, uh, Justin Hancock, with your latest episode of Culture Sex Relationships. Today is, I don't know, slightly unusual. I don't know, maybe. Who knows? So, um, uh, over on my other Patreon, patreon.com forward slash bishuk, I've just got so many patrons. Uh, (laughs) Some would argue too many. Anyway, so my project for uh, basically uh, sex education for young people. Um, I've got a new tier, a £10 tier over there, where any practitioners who are wanting to train in relationships and sex education um, can do a kind of a train-yourself series of modules um, in uh, relationships and sex education. Uh, I've just published the third module this week. Um, I don't know how many modules there are going to be, at least 10, but... um, perhaps some other intermediate modules as well, see how I get on with it. Um, uh, But the first one was about relationships and sex education and our own relationships and sex education and exploring some of the dominant messages that we get. So as a way of uh, making, as a way of promoting this, I decided to make the first one freely available. So you can actually go and visit that now. Um, I'll put a link in the bio. Um, and if you were interested in signing up for that in, in terms of um, wanting to teach this or wanting to get better at teaching relationships and sex education, I'd encourage you to sign up for the £10 patron. But uh, I thought I'd also uh, release it here on culture, sex, relationships because it's quite relevant to a lot of the things that we talk about. It's certainly relevant to the last episode where we talked about Bonk for Britain and some of the kind of problematic discourses about sex and reproduction and gender roles. And so what you'll find in this episode, dear listener, is a a, a podcast which is basically a self-reflective uh, or self-reflexive um, episode where I'll ask you to think about some things, think about some, some questions that might be useful for you. And uh, so it's different from usual. And um, yeah, if you find this interesting and you think that this might be useful for you individually, like to receive like actual relationships and sex education in this kind of depth, um, uh, then I might consider running this as part of the Patreon here for culture sex relationships. So patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships. And, you know, we could incorporate it, incorporate this, if you want, um, into some of the online meetups that we're having, we're started having now. We're trying to have monthly on, uh, meetups on Zoom for patrons of Culture Sex Relationships. Maybe if you wanted, we could do this kinds of thing, these kinds of things as workshops. So if you're interested in doing this, please sign up for the, for the Patreon um, patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships from just a pound a month you'll be supporting the patreon you do get extra content as well it's pretty good value even though i don't have time to make very many episodes you know i can't do one a week um uh, or two a week like other podcasters do um but you know try my best out here and i hope you're finding all this enjoyable okay so enough waffling from me you'll hear about so you'll hear me in a second a uh, different tone of voice <laughs> probably the same who knows and uh i hope you find this useful interesting let me know do sign up for the patreon and come and chat with us about it all right okay and if you are listening to this on the patreon uh you know thanks you keep the show going so couldn't do it without you all right and uh see you later bye 
Hello and welcome to this, the first uh, Train Yourself in RSE module uh, with me, Justin Hancock. I'll be your trainer for today. Um, so this first module, module one, is about our own relationships and sex education. I've been facilitating training courses in RSE for coming up to 20 years. I've worked with teachers, youth workers, clinicians, social workers, foster parents, outreach workers and counsellors. I was trained in sexual health training by Carol Painter at the Sheffield Centre for HIV and Sexual Health, as it was called then, in 2003. I've been slow to come around to the idea of solo train-yourself approaches. I still think that facilitating training in a room with chairs, a circle of chairs, lots of flip chart, with a co-created safe enough space is the gold standard. And I'm still going to deliver those courses and I've still got online courses available. However, COVID taught me to shift with the times and I learned that online training can be really effective. I also know that when we made Do RSE for Schools, the self-reflection activities were incredibly popular. So I've decided to try and bring these two approaches together. Train yourself activities in blogs and podcasts, coupled with regular online sessions where participants, you, dear listener, can come together and ask questions and perhaps try out some of the activities together. You might want to do these by yourself or with some colleagues at the, same at the same time. Please get your colleagues to sign up to this too. I think the activities will work well just for you and another colleague or two. If you have at least five colleagues who would like training, I can run a course online or in person just for you at a time that suits you. So send me an email if that's something you'd like. I'll give you a discounted rate for being a Patreon subscriber. So that's at justin at bishtraining.com. Whether you're doing this in a small group or by yourself, you'll need paper and pencils and pens or pens. Occasionally, I'll supply some handouts, which you may want to print out, but you'll just be able to use them on a screen as well. You may want to find a private spot, particularly if you're going to speak out loud with some colleagues. If you're doing this by yourself, try also to be in a private place. Maybe somewhere to stare out of the window and just be slow and thoughtful. I'm going to ask you some self-reflective questions, and in order for this to work, you're going to have to try and answer them. If you don't, you're just passively reading a blog post or listening to a podcast. If you're doing something else while you do this, it's just not going to work, I'm afraid. So I'm going to insert regular points where I'm going to invite you to pause, think about the activity, think about the questions I've asked, and then press play. Okay? Please do that, otherwise it's just not going to work. Okay, firstly... The group agreement. At this point in a course, I'd be, I'd be facilitating a group agreement. Group agreements are vital for delivering any kind of RSE, in my opinion. Relationships, sex, sexuality, gender, consent, bodies are pretty trippy, tricky topics to talk about for reasons we'll explore in this module. This is true both for you and anyone you might be working with. We may want to rely on the implicit assumption that everyone we're working with are going to be able to create a co-create a space which will be safe enough to do this work in. I've done this on occasion in the past and whenever I have, I've regretted it. The right vibe was never created. Some people were more involved than others. Instead of patience, there was tetchiness and sometimes a little bit of stress. Talking about sex and relationships brings the personal into the room, whether we want it to or not. Of course, that has the potential to create problems, because we're also dealing with these issues for ourselves. 
So much in RSE and relationships and sex generally has this dilemma of whether to make the implicit explicit or to say what we see, to quote Roy Walker, shout out to the elders in the room. Even if the group agreement that we might make explicit would be the same as that which was implicit, making it explicit does something. It's a gentle reminder. It puts everyone on the same page. It demonstrates that care is important. It is care. If you can co-create a group agreement, even better. Once I was delivering a six-week course to some foster parents and youth workers, I ended up spending the whole of the first session, three hours, doing introductions and a group agreement. At the end of that first session, they were a bit miffed at me, and there was even a bit of light-hearted teasing. They were thinking, the hell is going on with this course? The rest of the course went amazingly well. By that I mean everyone was participating, learning, both joyfully and with great care and seriousness. Co-creating the group agreement was clearly part of the learning because that co-creation is what RSE is. We'll get onto that later. Having said that, I also think that we could be careful about putting too much emphasis on explicit agreements at the beginning. We want to create spaces where learning can happen, where discourses, more on this later, can be carefully opened up. New languages learnt and new ways of being and doing being learnt. So a group agreement also needs to reflect that. So, how to do them? If you want to co-create a group agreement, a good thing to ask is, what do we need to do today to make sure that this course will go as well as it possibly can? Or ask, what do we really not want to see happen? And what agreements can we have in place to make sure they don't? Often with group agreements, particularly when people have done them before, people come up with concepts like challenge effectively or non-judgmental. So asking more precise questions might be a more helpful way of getting to the kinds of practices that the group might actually want to have in place. Think of the specifics. If it's a bit of a struggle, don't force it. Just try to allow it as a process and make it clear that it's something you can come back to as the course progresses. If you're doing this in a group, try that now. Pause this and try it now. Over the years, I've gone from spending lots of time co-creating group agreements to a much more abbreviated process. Sadly, this is because I get to spend less and less time with participants due to funding cuts. So I also have to get cracking with the main content of the course, in inverted commas, pretty quickly. So over the years, I've honed my group agreements down to about five statements that I think are useful. I read them out and then just gently explain what they mean and then ask how everyone feels about them. I then ask, what else do we need to add to make sure we can have a really great course? I also give a pause to allow people to say something if they want to, even if that means holding a silent space for an awkward amount of time. So the kinds of statements I would use at the beginning of a course might be to try and listen and make space for each other. That I'm not going to put anyone on the spot. I might explain here, if someone says something interesting, I say I might invite them to unpack it, or I might say, oh, that's interesting, would you like to say a little bit more about that? Or would anyone like to say a bit more about that? But I'm not going to ask anyone any personal questions or anyone to, to contribute anything in particular. That we tell the story, not the person. So we anonymize any stories that might be shared in or outside of the training. That we commit to anti-oppressive practice and language. So, for example, that we, you know, that we are anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-homophobic, anti-transphobic, anti-biphobic, um, uh, anti-disablest, 
uh, anti that we are anti-classist uh, and uh, but I also want this to be a space to learn and ask questions so look upon each other with kind eyes so it has to be a space where people can feel like they can say something which is um, which they haven't really properly understood, which might have caused harm, might have been offensive, but we're all not. But we're not all going to assume that people are deliberately saying something which is harmful. So, in the course of this training, I might say, let's just assume that people are just um, messing up rather than saying anything deliberately offensive and harmful. And that's part of my role, which is to pick up on that and to try and gently use things as a learning point, whilst also uh, paying attention to the rest of the learning agreement. So if you're doing this by yourself, you might want to make an agreement with yourself too. What kinds of things do you need to have in place to help you make the most of training yourself in RSE? You might want to think about the space you're in. Perhaps you can give yourself a few minutes after you do some of these activities. Often participants on my courses say that it really affected them personally as well as professionally too. What kinds of self-care might you need to bring in? If any of this feels too tricky, you don't have to go there. There'll be times when I'm asking you to reflect on things that might be personal, but I won't be asking you to write down or contribute any stories, either personally or if you come to one of the Zoom chats that we have. So have a think about this now. What do you need to set in place for yourself? The group or solo agreement is for this course, but it's also for our work too. If you're doing RSE in a school or youth club, how can you bring in a group agreement? Perhaps you work in a clinic or do other forms of one-to-one -one work. What kinds of things can you make explicit that might make this kind of work easier? This is also we'll cover in this module, and so and this is something that we'll keep coming back to. Your own relationships and sex education. If we don't count the group agreement as the first activity, this is the first activity. I'm going to ask you to think about your own relationships and sex education. Think back to the formal messages that you were taught at school about sex and relationships. They might have been direct, for example, things said to you, or indirect, for example, things not said or things you saw or experienced. You might not remember much, or what you might remember might be quite difficult. If it is too difficult, you don't have to go there right now. You don't have to think about the, the really difficult things, and you don't have to write them down or contribute them. You might want to think about what, what you were taught about, what sex is, who has sex, why people have sex, bodies, self-touch, relationships, consent, and the overall vibe, like how you were affected by the RSE you received. If you're doing this activity with other people, remember that sometimes this might be fun, but for some people this might also be quite tricky. So try to allow for all kinds of experiences and simply affirm what each other is saying. Don't question what people say or why, just listen. If you're doing this by yourself, then do give yourself some time to go back in time. What were your reactions at the time? How did everyone else react? Was it something you felt more able to talk about as a result? Were you given any opportunity or skills to talk about it? Did your teachers do a group agreement with you? What kind of effect did it have on you? Did it teach you anything useful at all? Whichever way you're doing this, spend 10 minutes thinking about it and write a few notes down under the heading my or our own sex and relationships education. So just click pause here and spend 
10 minutes or so thinking about all of this stuff. What was your own sex ed like? Okay, so 10 minutes have passed. You've written down about your own experiences of sex and relationships education. By now you should have a list, a diagram, a spider chart, or mind map of words or phrases in front of you. I'm gonna ask you what you noticed about that. You might have a few, not very many, and some of you will have maybe just one thing written down. That's all fine. Just consider these questions. Which of these things that you've written down have been valuable to you personally? Is there anything you might want to add now? Are there any you would like to drop? What do you notice generally looking at the list? Again, give yourself five or ten minutes to think about it. Just pause here. What do you notice about that list that you've just written? Okay, so you spent a bit of time thinking about the list that you've written, that you come up with about your own sex and relationships education. This section is now about our collective relationships and sex education. I've done this activity, the asking people to write down about their, to think about their own relationships and sex education. I've done this activity for nearly 20 years. And I first did this activity for myself about 22 years ago. Every time I do it, a very similar set of messages come up. Here are a few from the last four times I've done it in a training course. I'm just going to read these out. Don't have sex till you're married. Here's how your periods start. It's mechanical, sciencey. Nothing much on relationships at all. It didn't make any sense. Learn about HIV prevention and someone's experience of diagnosis. Being told the basics in a lesson and that was it. We didn't take it seriously. Not given the opportunity to ask questions. Cringe, it was awkward. Teacher not confident getting it across. Very short, it was mega taboo. With friends, it was different. And the next group, they said it was condoms, only the only method of contraception that was mentioned. They didn't get any RSE. It was just about bodies and how they function. The idea you can get pregnant at any time. Periods, graphic video of a birth at age 11. One consent class but there was a gender split. Chlamydia, gonorrhea, HIV. And there was a sense that there was like a homophobic kind of element to that, the way that it was being presented. The idea that sex is bad, sex is to have a baby. It's only dirty girls at school who do it. Ashamed of being sexually active. That virginity is sacred. Non-heterosexual sex, non-heterosexual sex, heterosexual sex doesn't exist. You can't enjoy sex. Just about bodies, not emotion. It's a female's job to give sex if partner wants it. Sex is about man's pleasure. Our next group. Again, mechanical, not about emotions. Bananas and condoms. No discussion about consent. Couldn't remember a lot. Not a thing to enjoy, but to have a baby. What you're supposed to do in a loving marriage. There was a TV wheeled in to watch a video. Again, girls and boys separated. Basic and generic. Pleasure mentioned re men but not women. Sex was done to women. Women have to deal with the consequences of sex. Male female situation not the same. So sorry, I've got that wrong. 
that it was a male so it was about men and women having sex not uh, same sex or different relationships that's about not getting pregnant teachers put in a difficult situation delivering the material giggles difficult for a friend who was left out of the class feeling very afraid terrifying a lot of us felt that way God and sin being part of sex and it was taught by nuns dirty and not what we should be doing pregnant friend left to feel ashamed and made different from everyone else can't go near boys can't trust them honestly the same things come up every single time it doesn't matter how old the participants are or when they got their sex and relationships education it's the same every time Sometimes there are participants on courses who had a pretty good experience of RSE at school or at home. There was a Dutch guy on a course once, and a few others who describe a reasonably comprehensive RSE curriculum, delivered in a matter-of-fact way, with little fuss. That's interesting because that proves that there's nothing essential to us as humans to think of sex and relationships in these ways, but that it's learnt and cultural. It's a common sense understanding of sex in the same in the sense that we are told to think this way. To sound a bit theoretical here, it's hegemonic sex education. But for the most part, people's experience of their own RSE was we're taught that it's bad, we're taught that it's awkward and not to be talked about, we're taught that sex is okay expected in loving relationships, but not before then or outside of that. That it's all about reproduction and that it's very hetero. Let's just reflect on this for a minute before we move on. Imagine what the RSE of the people, person who taught you RSE was like. Imagine what the person who taught them was taught. Imagine what the person who taught them was taught. Now consider where else we might hear these messages. Give yourself five minutes to think of where you hear these kinds of messages or stories being repeated. It could be the stories we tell ourselves or each other. Do we hear these kinds of stories at a community level, either on or offline? Do we hear these kinds of stories at a bigger institutional, societal level? Give yourself five minutes to think about this. Where is this coming from? What What is the deal here? So maybe RSE is just one arena where these stories are being reproduced. RSE is just retelling stories about sex and relationships, which are already the dominant stories in society. Of course, we might want to think about sex as being just about reproduction, or that sex is the kind of activity we should do in a romantic relationships. But in what way does our RSE and the broader social stories tell us that we should do this? rather than helping us to find it as an option we might want to pick for ourselves, or find right for ourselves, or feel like it is ourselves. I mean, what is going on here? I've got my own radical take about this. Feel free to ask me about it if you want. What are you thinking? What's going on here, do you think? Okay, next bit. So these messages... These dominant messages about sex and relationships, these stories land differently with different people. And the next activity is, think about the sex we see on TV, film, porn. Who is allowed to have sex? Who isn't? What kinds of sex are allowed? Get creative. 
and draw a sex scene from TV, film, porn. Who's in it and what are they doing? Usually when I do this in a training course, it's a lot of fun. People get way overexcited about it. So please do, uh, you know, this is a heavy, this is a heavy module. Have some fun with it. Give yourself five or 10 minutes longer to, to come up with something. And if you come up with something funny, uh, send it to me. Uh, and I can put it in the I can put it in the in the blog for other people to see. So just to go over that again, think about the sex we see on TV, film, and porn. Who's allowed to have sex? Who isn't? What kinds of sex are allowed? Get creative and draw a sex scene. Who's in it and what are they doing? Okay, so now you'll have some. You'd have you've drawn your you'd have drawn your sex scenes, some stick characters and a bed and often someone with a massive penis um, and a bottle of champagne. Uh, that's often what we see when people do this. So maybe you drew pig people who met the beauty standard. Perhaps they were heterosexual, had signifiers of wealth or success in life. That success equals sexy and sexy equals success. That a different set of racial groups were positioned differently in sexual contexts. How, how many have a disability? How old were they? So we can see that a lot of the stuff that comes up as cultural sex education also comes up in media. What sex is, what the purpose is, and who does it. This is an example of where the stories tell us who should be having sex and how. But another way of thinking about this, to bring in identity here and oppression even more um, precisely, is to think about the different terms used to describe different groups. Just think about for a moment, think about the terms used to describe men who have sex. Think about the terms used to describe women who have sex. Think about the terms used to describe people with disabilities who have sex. What are the terms used to describe black or people of colour who have sex? What are the terms used to describe lesbian, gay, bi, trans folk who have sex? What are the terms used to describe old people who have sex? What are the terms used to describe poor people who have sex? Now be careful with this. When I was trained in this, I used to invite people to write these down, but now I just get people to briefly consider them. We don't need to see a lot of slurs written down on paper to see what is going on here. So just think of those words, think of the terms that are used or not used. So if you've just spent a couple of minutes thinking about that, we can also see that sex is an arena where oppressions are created and utilised. We live in cultures that afford some people more sexual decision-making powers or agency than others. To put it crudely, Who's allowed to have sex? White, straight, cis, not poor, not old, able-bodied people. Everyone else, to some extent, is given less agency by culture. Of course, these marginalised identities also interlock or intersect. See the work of Kimberly Crenshaw and also the Combahee River Collective. This just means that people can experience different kinds of oppression, in this case stigma and prejudice around sex and relationships, at the same time. So for example, think about the messages that are, uh, or the stories that uh, might be told to and that, are black, that, might, that people might hear. So what, might, what messages might a black woman hear about sex and relationships? What messages or stories might a disabled person who is gay hear about them? 
what kinds of stories might somebody who is poor and a man of colour hear about their relationship to sex and relationships. But the set of stories that our RSE and broader culture has given us also isn't good for those that society, society gives status to about sex. So, speaking as a white, cis, straight, middle-aged man, and having worked with thousands of young men, I can tell you that these messages are super bad for us too. I might come to this when we get on to talking about gender in a future module, but uh, the status, this status really turns into a set of rigid expectations and rules, which reinforces a rule-based masculinity, hegemonic masculinity, which is incredibly bad for us and also everyone around us. This is all something to bear in mind when we're having conversations around sex, because culture might make it harder for some people to talk about or to think differently about sex and relationships. We should not make assumptions that someone won't be able to talk about sex based on what we think their experience might be. However, it is important to have some kind of understanding that culture and identity might be at play for many of the people that we're working with around the topics of sex and relationships. What effect does all of this have on us when talking about sex? Back to our own sex ed, which might be mediated through some of these um, identity-based oppressions that I was just talking about. What effect might these messages about sex and relationships have on us in our ability to talk about or navigate sex and relationships? Write down a few thoughts about it. Perhaps reflect on some occasions when it was too tricky to talk about sex and relationships, for whatever reason. To what extent can you attribute some of those stories, some of those to the stories we hear about sex? So think about some of the times where you might have had found it too tricky to talk about sex. To what extent can you attribute some of that to some of these stories that we hear about sex, the messages we've received? Just pause here. Give yourself five minutes. In answer to that question, this is what some other participants on a course I've done recently have come up with. It has a massive impact on us, just not allowed to use the words has an effect on our sex lives and relationships too. The shame influences our feelings and thoughts. Internalising the shame of sex and non-consensual sex makes us feel uncomfortable and anxious. Makes us want the conversation to end or close down the conversation. That we fall back on anatomical teaching. Feeling the embarrassment of talking about sex. So when we're being asked to talk about sex and relationships, we often do so without being trained, but also with a lot of our own bad experiences of sex and relationships education and of sex and relationships. These experiences and the stigmatizing stories that envelop them literally teaches us that this subject is not to be talked about. So it's no wonder we find it difficult to talk about, okay? An opposite set of stories about sex so, to quote my, one of my favourite Soundfell episodes, if all of our stories about sex are wrong, the opposite must be right, right? Well, let's see. Let's take the collective stories from our RSE, the things that you wrote down on your bit of paper at the beginning, if, um, or some of the things that I was reading out after in the activity after that. Let's take the collective stories from our, RSE, from our, our own RSE, and in that broader culture, 
What would the opposite be? See what you come up with. Give yourself five minutes. Just pause here, write down some of the opposite set of stories that we could have. Okay, so you should have a list of things, a list of opposite stories now. Looking at your list, can you see any patterns? Does it bear any resemblance to stories you might see in other places? Let's say that the opposite of the messages that we've received that we've talked about so far might be that hmm, sex is great. Sex is about pleasure. The goal should be orgasms. It's weird if we don't like sex. We should have sex in relationships. It's the glue that keeps us together. Casual sexual relationships are also fine and great. Masturbation is the best way to learn about our body. Sex is great for people of all genders and sexualities. We might recognise some of these stories in the media, TV, film, magazines, lifestyle websites. Sex and the City was a great example of pioneering, pioneering these kinds of stories in mainstream media. And many people have come to know this as sex positivity. So if the first set of stories we discussed might be described as sex negativity, then the opposite of this, sex positivity, must be the way to go, right? What do you think about that? Give yourself five minutes to note down your responses and thoughts to this. For many people, including many sex educators, sex positivity is the way to go. I think that on the whole, sex positivity has opened up a lot of possibilities, which may have been helpful. However, an uncritical approach to sex positivity might also run the risk of replacing one set of stories with, with another, so all we get are more stories. That having an opposite story about sex and relationships might or just might just also reinforce the original story and make that the default or common sense set of stories about sex and relationships. Doesn't, doesn't give us anything to disrupt the common sense ideas of sex that surround us. These stories might actually end up saying quite similar things about sex, what sex is, who gets to do it, and that everyone has the same sexual agency when they perhaps don't doesn't open up the possibilities in the way we might imagine. Because another set of should stories which just tell us about what our sexual selves should be, rather than making it possible for us to find it ourselves. It's just another set of should stories. So what we have so far is a lot of stories about sex and relationships. We might also call these discourses. Some of them might be grouped into what we might describe as sex negative and others as sex positive. These stories pervade our society, culture and are all around us. We might retell these stories to ourselves and each other. They exist in this kind of opposite way, this kind of uh, dialectic way. A good way of thinking about this actually is think about the messages that uh, young women receive about sex at school until they leave school. So those messages are sex negative, but then as soon as they leave school, it's like, no, you've got to do it now. It's really good. It's really good for you. You've got to be good at it and you've got to work at it. And young men receive those messages too. Okay. So 
So far, so depressing. <laughs> but what works for us? If culture is the only source of information about sex, then very few of us would have a sense of, of our own sexual or relational selves at all. The posh term for this is subjectivity. We were told that it was awkward, that it was bad to talk about, and so were given no tools. However, assuming that we all have some kind of self-knowledge about sex and relationships, whether or not, whether or not we have sex or relationships, how did we get it? Where did we, talking to you dear listener, where did we get useful tools or information and what made it useful? Think of a useful and valuable conversation you had about sex with a partner, friend, colleague. If you can think of one, what was in place that made that a useful conversation? So spend a minute bringing to time a mind when you had a useful or valuable conversation about sex or relationships. Then note down what was in place to help you do that. Just pause here and give yourself a few minutes to think about that. I'll just repeat that. Spend a minute bringing to mind, to mind a time when you had a useful or valuable conversation about sex and relationships. Could have been just a very small, brief conversation. Note down everything that was in place that made that a useful conversation. It could be something really small, seemingly silly, but just note down everything about that moment that made that moment feel okay where you could have that valuable and useful conversation. Just pause now and think about that. This is something that I've started asking recently on my courses. Again, you can come and ask me about that in the Zoom sessions, about why I've started asking this question recently. Here are some of the things that folk have been coming up with. But they were approachable. Felt part of the conversation. Felt comfortable. Didn't feel disappointment. Being able to use humour and to be light-hearted. Giving people choices. Using a resource. A distanced approach. A sense of genuine care and love. Setting down own feelings aside and focusing on them. Just listening. Sitting and being quiet. Asking questions. Not rushing people. Giving people time. Pausing. Allowing silence. Making encouraging, affirmative sounds. Nodding. Openness. Relaxed and conversational. Knowing they're not going to be easily shocked. That they're going to be comfortable. The timing of the conversation. Being attuned to the person. That you could trust them. That feeling comfortable. Humour, not being overheard. Boundaries about where and when are good times to talk about it. Normalising it. Taking the power out of it. Saying, it's okay. Creating a safe space to be able to talk. Private environment where no one can overhear. The language we use, using the words they're comfortable with. Asking them what they're comfortable with. Knowing it's in confidence. Asking open questions. Don't box the conversation in. Do you want to tell me a bit more about that, for example? Reflecting that you've heard what they've said. Giving them the choice and control that they can stop whenever they want. It's okay for them to step back if they've overshared. Consent. Tone of, tone of voice, a gentle tone of uh, voice. Listening. Making it clear that you are listening and interested. 
Eye contact might not always be possible, but some kind of sense of connection there space to explore that they might not have thought of this they might not have thought of this through any of this through before so giving them time to think it through knowing that might change and that might change their view of about what they thought or knew a soundboard for feelings again using humor feeling safe creating a non-judgmental space affirmative space acknowledging that it's a vulnerable thing to talk about straight to the point an awkwardness not feeling shy being confident, finding a common ground, playfulness, humour, light-hearted, normalising it, knowing the, the reason why the conversation has come up so that we're not just being nosy. What's the point of the conversation? So this is the most important bit of this module and there's going to be a similar refrain to a lot of the modules that I do here. First of all, whilst the RSE might feel like a daunting topic to teach, it is possible to use some of these strategies in our work, giving time, being a good listener, being curious, building trust and relationships, privacy, affirmative responses, having the right demeanor or vibe, are all things that we can do in the classroom, in the design of our education, our clinic spaces, our consulting rooms, in our, in our outreach work. Secondly, these are things that have helped us in our lives so we need to be passing on these skills for young people to be able to do this for them too. Just as important, perhaps even more important than the content is for young people to learn these techniques so they can put this into practice, just as you have. So group agreements, setting good vibes, how to facilitate, how to listen, how to notice and build trust are all processes that young people will learn from in themselves. The best RSE lessons I've had are the ones where students are on board, trust me, trust each other, and are genuinely interested in what each other has to say. Then the only equipment you need is a pen. Thirdly, the content for our lessons should focus as much on the tools and strategies for navigating discourse as much the discourse itself. When I say discourse here, I mean the stories and the messages I've been talking about. RSE without reference to discourse and how this runs through power relations is shit. Men receive status for being interested in sex and women receive stigma. One way in which people are disabled is to desexualize them. See how racist tropes are from grounded in sexual and gendered ways. Look at how much transphobia is, there is at the moment and homophobia and lesbophobia and biphobia. However, if we only talk about discourse without the tools to navigate it, then we fix individual people's social locations. It's disempowering and infantilizing. For example, that a trans person is never going to be empowered enough to date someone or go dancing, or that because of racism it's never possible for a black person to go into a white-owned restaurant, or that a straight white man is never going to feel vulnerable or underconfident about their own sexuality. So all RSE has to give people the tools to navigate discourse. Spending as much time on this as we do discussing discourse. Asking questions like, what can be done about this? Who has the power to shift things in this situation? What might somebody feel, think, do here? Think about the RSE you might deliver, either in one-to-ones, in conversation, in a group work situation, or in a classroom. What can you learn from what you came up with? And what we've collectively come up with? And how can you translate that into how you deliver it? Think about how you introduce it, group agreements, different learning methods, the materials you use, how you set up the room, what the vibes you need, and what you need to do to create them. 
This is something that we'll return to throughout the rest of the course. In fact, a lot of this stuff is something that we're going to re return to in the rest of the course, particularly when we get talking about um, gender as well. Okay, so the last thing to do, and you'll probably need to read the show notes, not not the show notes, The uh, I was thinking that I was running my own podcast there, my, my actual podcast. Um, go to the blog uh, where uh, at the Patreon um, where you're listening to this, where you're listening to this um, audio. Come on, Justin. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to do the talking sex ed. So I've got a link on the, uh, the Patreon blog to a screen version of my game Talking Sex Ed. And as you'll see, it's a discussion card game, okay? And the full version includes printable cards and is ridiculously cheap. It's like, I think it's on sale for a fiver at the moment. It's usually 750. Uh, here's my blurb about it. Talking Sex Ed is a discussion game for young people over 14 about sex and relationships with over 100 challenging and fun cards for young people to learn and practice key skills and learn vital information whilst also exploring key concepts and reflecting on their values and ethics. It's a mostly self-facilitating card game with comprehensive instructions for players on how to use a group agreement to create the right vibe. Players also cooperate and negotiate with each other about how to play and how to score. Perfect for youth projects and tutor groups, and a great way to get the conversation going. So, grab some colleagues or some family members over 14s, load the image on a screen that you can zoom in and out of, a phone and tablet works well, and play the game. I've also got a link to the instructions on how to play it. Just And it's a way of facilitating and you co-facilitating, co-creating a space where you can talk about sex and relationships, okay? So as you play it, just try to notice some of what is going on, which helps you. What is the game doing? What are you doing? What are the others doing? What's the vibe in the room? What's working? These are what we need anyone we're working with to feel too. And that's RSE. So pay attention to those things and then see how we can bring more of that into our work. And also more of that into our lives in general. Um, and... Uh, you know, that is the key to helping us have uh, really good sex and relationships, right? You know, it is the ability to create the right vibe, mood, environment to maximize yeah, everyone's freedom to consent, you know, to, yeah, sorry, to maximize everyone's freedom to choose, uh, to have these really useful conversations, to incorporate these technologies of the self or new lines of flight into our own lives. Anyway, um, so this is the kind of thing that we could discuss in workshops, you know, I've done this before, did a few of these with Meg John in the past in person, you know, they went quite well. So if you're interested in that, maybe sign up for the Patreon, let's see where it takes us. All right. Okay. Um, have a lovely rest of day. Bye.